One of the greatest things about technology in our world today is the creation of the application we call Google. I remember when I was a kid going to the library and going to the card catalog and having to look up keywords to find the information I was looking for. I can still see myself walking up the stairs to that big old Carnegie funded library and walking up to the card catalog and having to look for not just one keyword but then through all of these other little words that I wasn't sure about and then trying to find those books in the library how different that is from our experience last night my wife and I when we were watching a movie that is very highly rated and probably going to win the slew of nominations, if not awards, this year of 2022, but the awards are for 2021. And seeing all these questions that people had posted and the answers to them. So it stimulates the easy finding of information and following one's inclination. Whether I'm in the card catalog as a teenager or on Google as a senior citizen, both require me to be able to read and understand what it is that I am looking for. I used to tell my students, even when I was not a consultant, before I became a consultant, I had a poster in my room that used to say, those who read succeed. And in those days, our reading program was comprised of all kinds of skill development. But even back then, we realized that you need to pull all the schools, the skills together rather, so that you can practice the art of reading. It's like playing a game, whether that's hockey or baseball or basketball or soccer. You can break the game down into skills and rules. And as you teach the game to students, they need to learn the rules, what you can or can't do. They need to learn the skills involved in playing the game. But at some point, it's all for naught unless they actually play a game. It's the same with reading. I can teach comprehension and point of view and, and structure and theme and setting. But unless I give students an opportunity to practice and pull it all together, it's not going to go anywhere. 
So when I was a classroom teacher, we had all kinds of gimmicks that we tried to encourage students to develop a love of reading. I remember we had a program called Squirt, Super Quiet Uninterrupted Reading Time. And in fact, there was a time when we called, uh, we played a bit of music, and the entire school stopped everything so that they could participate in Squirt. Everybody had to read, teachers and students, regardless of the age. And so the kids had to have books. They'd go to the library and we'd have to make sure they had books that they could read. But that didn't accomplish very much. It really didn't. And, but why didn't it? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. So I have grandchildren that are learning how to read. And how do we encourage that learning how to read? Fortunately, my children both have had a good education and they benefit from my love of reading, which I passed on to them. I took them to the library. We watched movies and talked about the stories that the movies contained. They saw me reading, they saw their mother reading, they saw their grandparents reading, and so on. So naturally, when they were little, they wanted to learn to be able to read too, because that's how we cultivate that curiosity. We show them what we do, and they want to copy us. That's how it's done in nature. That's how skills are passed on from one generation to another. We model what we expect our young to do and our young follow along with that. <clears throat> so when it comes to reading, the first thing is if you want your children to read, you have to read too. You have to show them that you like to read. You have to take them to the library. You have to help them choose books that they're interested in. But there is the key. You need to know what interests them. When I'm doing Google, when I'm Googling rather, I follow my interests. I'm interested in making a new soup and I want to use these particular ingredients. So I Google recipes with corn or tomatoes or lentils and I then choose a recipe. Kids are interested in, in their dogs, in their sports heroes, their games that they play and so on. But once they come to school at the age of five or four or even three, in some places. It's up to the classroom teacher. It's up to the early childhood educator to help encourage the refining of interests and the looking for books that appeal to those interests. It's not just the interests. 
I remember when I was a teacher librarian buying books on dogs and books on cats and books on pets and books on countries and books on cultures and books on historical periods. But today, that's not enough because our classrooms are not homogeneous anymore. They're heterogeneous. And if we want our students to learn how to read and love to read, we want them to find reading that appeals to who they are, not just what they're interested in. So if I read a book like Sounder to a class, I'm appealing to a white rural student. If I read if I read a book about um, about a, a black athlete, then that appeals to a very different population. And when my students go into the library, to look for books or your students go into the library to look for books that they want to read. They have to find themselves in the pictures and the covers of the books that are on the shelves. Why would a black 10-year-old boy go in and want to read a book about a 10-year-old white boy living in a white community? I don't mean to say it so bluntly, but that's the truth of it. Why would a young girl be interested in taking a book off the shelf that deals with a young boy who's interested in soccer or hockey? She wants a book about girl things, not boy things, sometimes. There are exceptions. There are boys that are interested in girl books, romance. I don't mean at girl books in that respect. I mean things that generally appeal to girls. Romance and makeup and, and, and um, heroines. But every child has their own interests that they bring into the library when they walk in the door. And we need to be able to hand them a book and say, here, maybe you'd be interested in this. The Great Gilly Hopkins, which I loved as a story, deals with a boy living in a group home and dealing with kids his own age who have multiple problems, emotional and social and physical problems. Homecoming deals the book Homecoming by Cynthia Voigt deals with homelessness and desertion. I read a book the other day about girls in grade seven. One was from Pakistan and the other was Jewish from New York. But they were both interested in cooking and they were taking cooking classes together. And they were learning how their cooking class and the 
things they were doing in the cooking class and the way they were interacting with each other and the rest of the students in the class taught them about how to get along with people not like themselves. Every book that a child takes off a shelf and lies down on the floor and looks at the pictures of has to move them in some way. It has to encourage them to find something in the book that they like. Whatever their interests, they need to be able to boost their reading level with things that they practice. Playing baseball involves throwing a ball. But it's not the same as throwing a ball in volleyball. It's not the same as passing a ball in basketball. Each skill and each interest are unique. And we have to accept that uniqueness with our students. If we want our students to read, those who read succeed. We have to break that down to the individual level. Peter, if you want to succeed, you need to read. And let's look for some books that you will like. Janine, if you like to read, maybe you'd like to read this book about a young girl whose parents are not getting along. Or Harry, here's a book about a 10-year-old who all of a sudden has to share the spotlight with a brand new baby. All of those things are part of helping a child find his or her way in the world and coming to understand that world. And the more we can help each student, child, find reading materials that they like, the better off their journey through the school system and into adulthood will be. I used to get very annoyed when I was much younger and my daughter didn't want to read anything fiction. I used to think that there was something wrong because she didn't want to read fiction until I became a consultant and was, as is my habit, I used to borrow books from other people's desks because there was something about the book that appealed to me. And I borrowed a bunch of books from one of my colleagues' desks on reading and encouraging reading habits. And this particular evening, I read a book. I opened up the cover and it talked about, it had a whole chapter on the student that only likes to read nonfiction. Right off the bat, I thought, oh, that's for me because that's all my daughter wanted to read was nonfiction. And I don't think that's healthy. The first line in that chapter said, the student that likes to read only nonfiction, these are our future paleoanthropologists. 
people that study the evolution of humankind. And guess what my daughter became? A paleoanthropologist. So that taught me way back when that anything a student reads is valuable. No matter what they read, it's not what they read, it's the act of reading. Following through on the initial interest in putting letters and sounds together to form words to tell a story or to explain something. Everybody comes to school wanting to do that. It's our fault if they don't continue that way. We have to encourage that if we want them to be successful because those who read succeed.